Today in the Show Me Institute podcast, Susan Pendergrass and Patrick Ishmael are joined by Kim McGrath and Dan Powell from the St. Louis Commission of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. They discuss the foundation's mission, why they chose to establish a commission in St. Louis, and the current state of the communist movement. Find more Show Me Institute podcast on SoundCloud at SoundCloud slash Show Me Institute and subscribe on Apple Podcast. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass. Very interested to speak with you this morning, Dan and Kim, um, from the Victims of Communism Foundation. You know, it's 2020. We're hearing a lot about communism at a time when you would think we would be done talking about communism. But what I'm very curious about is your foundation and how it came to be, because I, I know you guys have some, got some really great projects going on, like your Witness Project, um, videos and commentary from people who have actually experienced communism in a way that um, is not the um, idealized version that we're hearing a lot about these days. So I'd be curious to know, how did your organization get started? So the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation is based in Washington, DC. That's the, the organization's headquarters. And the foundation itself was, was started in 1993. So mm-hmm. it was um, enacted into law under President Bill Clinton. Um, it had been authorized by a unanimous act of Congress um, and then was formally signed into law in, in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, so the organization, the organization itself has been around for a long time. Um, and it has, since the beginning, very much been a bipartisan effort. So there was support on, on both sides of the aisle, um, you know, amongst, amongst our leaders who did not want to see uh, communism take hold. So the, the organization um, has been doing a lot of different activities and events, as you mentioned, over the years, um, and really has been active in sharing information and working towards the vision of having a world that is free, free from the false hope of Marxism and safe sure. from the tyranny of communism. Uh, the organization itself, the foundation um, established, there was a statue that was um, put up in DC in 2007. Um, so there's a, there's a physical memorial site in Washington, DC. Mm. Um, and then the, the, the leadership itself there at the national level um, includes a full-time staff, includes a board of trustees, um, an academic council, an advisory council. Um, you guys are so, in St. Louis, so you must, are you a, an affiliate or? Yes, we are, okay. we are the St. Louis Commission. So um, Victims of Communism St. Louis Commission um, is the, the group that Dan and I are involved with here involved with here on the local level. Mm-hmm. And, and the commission, this is the first commission in the country, correct? It's mostly been a national kind of undertaking, but this is the first one that has a kind of more localized component and, and victims of communism chose St. Louis to start. Why is that? Is there a historical connection? Is there a, a community here that, that is especially important to the national organization? Yes, so we are the first ever commission. Um, The reason that VOC is in St. Louis essentially is because we have seen a rise of communist activity in the city of St. Louis. Um, And it's kind of been happening in two two main areas. So myself along with with my co-chairs here have been following that activity um, and really working to share the truth about these events, these organizations and these individuals. So there's kind of an organized political aspect, um, where it's more folks who are, who are, you know, Communist Party USA members, leaders that are that are running for office um, under the, the guise of other, um, other political parties. But then we also have 
seen for years in and around the South St. Louis area, and more recently downtown, where they, there have been vandalists, there's been groups that are doing vandalism and, you know, more of the militant kind of uh, painting, hammer and sickle, you know, um, graffiti, using communist Marxist symbols is sort of, you know, uh, symbols of liberation and, and freedom, ironically. So those are kind of the two main areas. And then you probably remember at Soldiers Memorial more recently, there was a, a hammer and sickle that had been spray painted in red there as well. Um, and that was largely ignored by the media. Um, in Why do you think that is? That. So, you know, I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying, Susan, about the fact that we are surprised to be seeing and hearing about communism in, in the U.S. Um, I, I don't know that um, people necessarily see the, the gravity of those symbols, particularly amongst the younger generation um, who, you know, research is indicating are more favorable towards socialism. Um, so, so I think that's, that's part of it is that perhaps people are doubtful. Um, but I also think that, you know, in terms of exposing individuals in some of these organizations, you know, they're not always being transparent. So maybe people don't have the facts and have the information in front of them. Is, is the plan to have commissions across the country or is this kind of an, an exception? Is St. Louis in a unique position where a commission is needed there, but it's not necessarily needed in a place like Kansas City or Chicago or, or other places like that? Yeah, um, I can't speak to the need in those cities. Um, I know that there have been Communist Party USA conventions in Chicago um, with, with really pretty good attendance that we've seen. Um, but for us, you know, it was um, myself and, and my co-chairs and all a number of our volunteers have been seeing this happening in St. Louis and kind of tracking and following it. So that that was the reason is, is the activity and the fact that there, there are a number of people, there's a good number of people who are seeing this, who are concerned and who, who want to be involved. Um, but Dan, along with our other co-chairs, has really been um, focused on, you know, what those activities are and what's been happening here kind of in the St. Louis scene. What, what sort of what sort of events have you all put on in St. Louis so far and how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected what you've been able to do? I know that for us, you know, we we are working oftentimes remotely because of what, what's happening with coronavirus. How has that impacted the work that you all have done and what kind of events are you doing either in person or remotely? Mm -hmm. So our first event was in March of last year, and we did a film screening and an educator workshop. Um, so that was hosted at the, the Moolah Theater. We did um, a film screening of Ashes in the Snow, which is a, a Lithuanian film uh, that follows a young woman whose family was exiled during, um, you know, during Stalin's rule. So we had a film screening, um, we had a Q&A, we had a panel discussion with our uh, director of education and with one of the, the fellows, the VOC fellows at the time. Um, so we had about 300 people, say between, between 250, 300 people that showed up um, for the screening and, and the discussion. Um, and then it worked out really well because the Lithuanian, uh, the St. Louis Lithuanian community uh, was also hosting an Independence Day celebration that same evening. Mm -hmm. So we kind of cross promoted and were able to do, um, you know, a really nice event, an educator workshop, um, and then kind of have an evening celebration as well. Um, so that is really um, the biggest event that we've done face to face. You know, we have smaller meetings with our volunteers and others, uh, but this summer we, alongside uh, the national office, really promoted a few different webinar series that were being hosted. So there, there were three 
webinar series that were rolled out this summer. Um, and for one of them, you may have seen, or some of your listeners may have seen, uh, we were able to bring in a St. Louis resident who's a who's an uh, exiled Cuban author who's also living mm. in St. Louis. So he was able to to be one of the participants in that webinar series. Um, so we're you know ultimately want to do more small events, but our our goal now is to have kind of two big signature events. One which will be you know along the lines of a of a film screening Q and A kind of a discussion. Um, and then one that we will kind of theme up differently depending on what's happening during the year. I think the personal stories are so powerful. And I think people think of communism in the abstract. And when you hear people who have actually um, had to live under communist rule, it's so powerful. And I love that you guys are finding ways to get those voices out there because it seems far away. You know, a lot of people think this doesn't pertain to me, right? Yeah, when you hear the stories of the victims or, you know, people whose family have fled communist regimes. It's just, uh, it's not something you can argue with. <laughs> right. You know, it's so, it's so powerful. It's so present. Um, and the strength and resilience of these individuals is, is amazing. And our national office very much focus on what's happening internationally. You know, as we know, one fifth of the world currently lives under communist oppression. Uh, and, and so those stories are the ones that are so powerful. And we're finding that there are a number of St. Louisans. We, of course, are a city that has a history of welcoming immigrants, uh, many of whom have fled from communist regimes. So we have volunteers and supporters, uh, you know, Cuban Americans, Russian Americans, Lithuanian Americans. So, so folks that have seen and lived through these stories. And it is, it's so very, very powerful. Dan, I, I'm looking through your bio and, and Kim's bio, and it's what, what I take away from both is that you all are very involved uh, already in St. Louis and have a history of involvement. What got you interested in in helping with uh, this commission? Because, you know, everybody has to make decisions about their time. What what made this particular endeavor important for you to, to commit time to it? Uh, well, I mean, the truth is, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, I'm a Generation Xer. And so I did grow up a little bit in the, uh, the Cold War era. So you never would have thought, at least in my generation, that you would ever be talking about communism or that it would ever be accepting. But what we start, myself and actually Kim and others started seeing was that communism was actually becoming really accepted, accepted in St. Louis uh, to the point where you, even, even if it's known, it, it wasn't just you just read it for interest or, uh, you know, it was just necessarily being snuck, snuck through through certain groups uh, that were probably already existed. It was actually being accepted. So you could bring this up saying, hey, this person is a communist. They're running for this office. They're holding this position in this ward organization. And then you started noticing that the people who you're telling this to had no problem with it. In fact, they were supportive of it. So at that point, you started getting a little concerned going, well, maybe this is bigger than what I thought. And as time went on and we started doing more research, looking into things, seeing ties with various politicians locally, seeing all of the uh, street revolutionary groups that exist, which are about, I mean, at least over seven, I think I've counted, plus other types of like affinity groups. You start to get concerned mostly because you start seeing how effective, how well organized they are and how successful they've been. And at that point, it's, you know, to me, it's, you know, I think communism is horrible. Marxism is just a horrid idea. Oppresses is starved, killed over a hundred. It's resulted in over a hundred million deaths. So to sit back and not do anything, I think is what they want you to do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just not the type of person who's going to do that, you know, especially in a country that's supposed to be based off liberty and freedom. 
Well, one, one thing that I thought was interesting during the whole Ferguson, um, uh, all those events surrounding it, was that it seemed like there were a lot of maybe Chicago revolutionary groups that were coming in. But I guess it sounds like this may have been percolating in St. Louis for a while, this kind of acceptance or promotion of communist ideas. Is St. Louis just uniquely positioned that it may be catching on more broadly here or in a different way? Or do you think that St. Louis just happens to be the, the first place that uh, they had folks like you who wanted to get actively involved to actually start talking about it more, more explicitly? Is, it, is St. Louis unique or do you think this is happening everywhere? St. Louis has some uniqueness to it. We definitely uh, exposed a lot of it, which uh, they didn't want to. Uh, you would be right to say that uh, Ferguson 2014 was a springboard for communism in St. Louis. Uh, there were communist groups up there at those protests. Uh, in fact, the national board member for the Communist Party USA, uh, Tony Pesanowski, he had uh, uh, went to a Paris communist conference and stated in, in those remarks that the uh, communists took a lead role in the Ferguson protests in 2014. You also had one of our state reps who was on a uh, C-SPAN at a CPUSA national convention, who was one of the, the our, you know, lead protesters now and in Ferguson. So uh, they definitely had it. They also had said uh, in an article in the Jacobin, uh, in an interview about the Workers' Education Society, uh, the same national board member had said that the scale of St. Louis, especially the city itself, is ideal for what they're doing. Because it's, I mean, if you look at St. Louis, it's always been uh, labor, uh, labor based. I mean, I was always uh, kind of a, a moderate in the sense uh, of being blue collar labor. So they have that support. Uh, and then they have uh, a city where there's a lot of political positions. We have 28 wards, multiple, uh, uh, what we call, you know, democratic ward positions, things along those lines. And they never were really challenged. So they found an opportunity to challenge those positions. At least CPUS day, CPUSA did. And then they ended up doing like a, a what they call the four wards forward program where they started targeting individual wards and having their members join neighborhood associations, ward organizations, and uh, to underestimate their ability would be, would be a, a, like a, a poor thing to do. Let me just say it that way. But uh, they're, they're really successful and they're really good at what they do. And they're really nice. Like if you would meet people from the CPUSA, they're nice people, you like them. It's just, you need to ask them the other questions of the things that they believe in. And at that point you start, you know, making, <laughs> realizing that maybe you don't want that, that kind of political philosophy or ideology. Well, what would you like to tell people about communism? Uh, myself, I mean, it, it, first off, I mean, this may be a little bit or divisive here, but communists lie. That's, that's one. I mean, I, we've seen it here locally. If, if they were you know, running in elections and not telling people what their political affiliation was, historically, sure. communism kills. Uh, you know, the argument always comes down to, uh, well, there's never been true, there's never been pure, right. pure communism. Like, we basically... It, you know, through this two years that we've been doing it, it's the same arguments. It's, it's almost cult-like that you see the same thing said so often. And one of them is that there's no pure cap, uh, communism. Well, I mean, the first thing, there's never really been a pure capitalist society either. You know, so, and then the capitalism they use isn't Marxist, is, is Marx's definition, not uh, Adam Smith's. And then also, the reason why there has never been a pure communist society is because it fails. It gets to a certain stage and it fails and it will never be achievable. So it becomes an authoritarian uh, communist state. And that's what I, I is, is really kind of a, a frustrating thing to deal with is that they, they won't accept that. Uh, it's like a scientist that just tries to have so this theory on paper and keeps trying it over and over and over, but yet won't admit 
that it, it can never succeed. And that's to me what communism is and that people should start embracing the idea that there is no pure communist society because it's never gonna be achievable. And our human nature probably will never allow just based off that alone. Like people are just, they just don't wanna do it. Uh, and every time it's been tried, starvation, uh, you know, death, you, you try to have a few people just trying to tell everybody else and assuming what everybody else wants, that's just yep. never gonna happen. Uh, you know, I, I think that's what uh, that uh, economist uh, Hayek had said. He said, the more, the more uh, man knows, the less a man, or, you know, less a man knows. And that applies. A small group of people just can't know what the rest of us want. And it's just, it's, these people just look at a theory, look on paper. Uh, I kind of joke with some of uh, my friends, especially my coworkers. I say, I think they have these discussions while they're uh, having wine and cheese yeah. and talking about all this kind of stuff. But no one really wants to live this. Even, you know, the communists are, who are there now and accepting it, they say they do. But in reality, I don't think they would. I mean, they can, they have options think, to try it out. Yeah. I think they think that they'll get it right, that they'll be the group that gets it right, and then poverty will be eradicated. And no one's just gotten it right yet. And yeah. um, it's been around for a long, long time. Yeah. If we were going to get it right, I think we would have gotten it right. Yeah. And historically, if you look at it, it's like a lot of the people that push these are academics. Like, I mean, Pol Pot, mm -hmm. Lenin, these weren't laborers. Sure. And they say they're fighting for the laborers, but it's these academics who try to push their theory it's almost like a little bit of hubris that they think they're like we know how to do it this time and uh i think it's in venezuela uh maduro uses a a spanish marxist professor for his economic uh, as an economic advisor but look how, how well it's done yeah he has yep. full control to do whatever this guy says and it's not successful hmm. and that underscores for me too why the education piece is so important and how ironic it is that uh, we have now more educational resources at our fingertips um, and, and less information and less time is being spent on, on the curriculum. A big part of what EOSA has done nationally and we're, we're working on here with the commission is to get into schools. So we have a, a, a curriculum that's been designed. It's aligned with Missouri State Standards um, and it's, it's designed to teach young people, middle school and high schools, students and also educators about the history of communism. And it comes with, um, it's pairs with what we call the witness project. So those are the stories of individuals who've, who've survived communist regimes. So the curriculum, you know, gives resources, gives information, there's different readings and things that are selected that are a part of it. Um, and then the, the guide itself links back to some of those stories that we have online as well. So it's a really robust way to, to start sharing with younger generation who, you know, as Dan said, um, we're closer to the, to the Cold War than a lot of the young students are today. So the education piece is really critical. And that goes for schools, but also in, in educating the public about what these local organizations and what even our elected officials believe and represent and what they're working towards. I mean, we don't do a good job of teaching history civics at all in our schools. And the national tests reflect that. Maybe 15% of students are proficient. We're, not, we're, we're missing the boat there. And um, kids are leaving high school knowing very little of the history of this country, unfortunately. Yeah, one of the things we're trying to, we've just started is uh, a religious outreach or like religious outreach committee because St. Louis does have uh, so many Catholic schools and are affiliated mm -hmm. that way. And then with the, the latest statue uh, protest for St. Louis uh, down in a, our, 
Art Hill or Forest Park. Uh, it, it, we were down there uh, a couple times just to kind of document and see what was going on because we do see communists at these protests and they were there. So it, the, you know, it was the idea of that maybe we should start trying to reach out to the Catholic community as well as the schools there. Uh, surprisingly, uh, it seems kind of split on what their views are in regards to, uh, you know, Marxism and things along those lines. But what we see is a lot of times leadership is different than what membership is as, as far as with the laborers, uh, you know, local unions, things along those lines, as well as with uh, the religious community. So we think more people, like the idea would be to present the why this is needed and then kind of uh, show what the educational curriculum could be and things along those lines. And hopefully we kind of have some success in that area. Yeah. If, yeah, if, if someone wants to get involved with your organization, uh, how do they do that? What kind of opportunities are available? Uh, are, and, and what are your upcoming events that you might have either online or in person? Yeah, so volunteers can get involved in a number of different ways. Uh, Dan mentioned that we're, we're reaching out now with different religious groups. That also ties into the education piece. So there's, there's really right now with our, our various volunteers, um, they support us in you know, education, so sharing the information that we put out there. Um, we recently did a candidate survey where we sent out a questionnaire to all the candidates who are running in the August primaries to tell us about their views on communism. Um, so projects, um, and then also for um, our, our social media outreach, we need folks to help get involved and push that out as well. Um, but really the, the education piece and the event piece is where we, um, we need volunteers. The national group recently hosted a, a candlelight vigil, so we were able to get a number of our volunteers to participate in that event as well. So um, our, our next date uh, that we want to do an event is November 7th. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is uh, on, right now there's legislation in the state of Missouri to establish November 7th as Victims of Communism Memorial Day. Um, it's also been pushed out uh, across, I think, 11 other states as well, where it's either the legislation has either been introduced or it's been passed. Um, so we would like, you know, we support that stance very much so uh, in terms of designating that date, uh, which is the, um, yeah, the 7th of November. So pre-COVID, the plan was to host um, another one of our events, um, either at a theater or a space that's large enough for us to do a film screening and Q&A and discussion, um, and then have a, have a panel presentation with some of our local residents and, you know, either victims or uh, who, with family members who are victims of communism. Um, so we are asking supporters and volunteers to save the date for November 7th, um, but we don't know if it will be a live event or if it will be a virtual event or it will be a hybrid of those two. Um, so we're still kind of working those details out. But for volunteers who want to get involved, there's really, a, you know, I mentioned education and events um, and religious outreach are kind of three categories that fit what we're seeing and what we're hearing in St. Louis. But you know, we've had people approach us with their own ideas about something that they're interested in researching or helping out with, and you know, they can get involved as well um, in in a lot of in a lot of different ways. So, um, yeah, through our social media, we also have a place on our website where individuals can just uh, you know click click on a, a quick form and fill it out and let us know that they're interested in getting involved. They're interested in being involved. And is is Ashes in the Snow a movie that you can? I could find. Is it available? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. 
are you, are you, so are you just both of you, I'm just curious, are you optimistic or pessimistic about where we're headed on this? You're fighting this, you're fighting this fight every day. So from where you stand in the trenches, are you optimistic or pessimistic? Well, I would say it depends on, on what we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. um, optimistically, we've got this commission established. We've got a lot of people who are yeah. concerned, who are, who are engaged, who are supporting. You know, pessimistically, the, the, the movement here with a lot of communist and communist supporters and enablers is very strong. Um, so, you know, we have, we have our strengths and we have our weaknesses in terms of the work that needs to be done. Um, but, but I would say it, it kind of depends on, on what we're looking at. I'm really happy and, and I think that St. Louis is fortunate to have, have the support of this national organization and its many, many resources. So that's very positive. But there's also a lot to be very concerned about as well. So, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely have a, a lot of concerns with the, the, the the bright light of things is that it's becoming exposed. People are starting to see it now. Uh, a couple of years ago, even as early as 2014, and then 2016 should have been a year that people should have seen it. But now it's finally, they're starting to see things, especially in St. Louis, because the information is just there. The best thing about media and social media and, and them talking and doing things is it's their words, it's their interviews, it's their videos. So it becomes indisputable of whether or not we're just making this up. Like we don't, go that route and people are seeing it and people are you know, I always say you have to ask the questions that you never thought you'd have to ask to a lot of people to get the truth out of them and I think more people are starting to do that at least in St. Louis uh, the concerning thing for me would be what's going on around the country in Minneapolis you started seeing that there were there were communists up there it's just those people didn't know that they were communists the uh, what they call for the people that's FTP uh, you know, sometimes people think that refers to the police. That does, isn't necessarily always true. Uh, For the People has Maoist chapters throughout the United States. Minneapolis is one of them. And if you would look at some of the videos up there, you would see FTP, things along those lines. And they do have an active chapter that was advertised and in those protests. So I, the odds, what I would guess is, I don't think the people in Minneapolis knew what that meant or knew what was going on. And it's the more we have uh, transparency, we bring it out to the open, then we can actually see what we're, what the, uh, what the, the true, I guess, uh, you, you know, the, the people's view of things, uh, everybody around, whether they accept it or not. And when you find out whether people accept it and are actually having to resonate and believe that it's true, then we'll find out for true if, uh, you know, if we should worry or not. Um, you know, you kind of hope that it's just a, a smaller group of people that want to support this, but you don't know. And yeah. the way they sell it, is always the feel good option and people start supporting that. So I, I mean, it's, it's a scary, scary to me to see so many people supporting communism. I never thought I'd see something like this in my life besides just a few, you know, people here and there, uh, but nothing yeah. to be concerned of, but it's definitely a concern. It shouldn't be yeah. underestimated. It was fascinating to learn more about your organization. You guys have a great website. I loved watching your videos. So um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Anything else from you, Patrick? Well, I, th I think, I mean, this was great. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that uh, there was so much happening at the at the local level dealing with the Communist Party and, and communist ideals in St. Louis in particular. Uh, so that was really enlightening to me. So yeah, well, we right, what we know would scare you. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. I know. I thought, gosh, uh, is there anything else we could we could talk about? There sure is. <laughs> there are a lot of specific. <laughs> 
a lot of specific examples of where this is happening. You know, um, Dan mentioned membership. It's it's true of local, um, you know, political committees and groups as well, where you have folks who are coming into these, you know, smaller elected positions, um, spouting one political viewpoint, but actually working towards and representing another. So there's a lot of hypocrisy, and it's not something that these individuals are really concerned with. You know, it's it's yeah. just about pushing towards one end goal, that goal being, you know, full-blown socialism, communism. Well, I'm Gen X as well. And I know when I was in grad school a million years ago, um, Frank Fukuyama was on the teaching staff where I went to school and he wrote the end of history, the last man as though, and I know, I don't think he would to this day, uh, accept the way that's gotten interpreted that, you know, communism was quashed at that point. It was yeah. over. And, um, people are revisiting that now because, it's seen that the world was turning away from socialism towards capitalism. And now here we are, 2020, mm -hmm. going right back the other direction. Yeah, Hard I think I, <clears throat> from the people at the national uh, level, the VOC was that, and I think they advertised it is that, you know, with Nazism and fascism, like we actually had a solid win on that. You know, we took them over, we had trials, we had wins. We never really had that with communism. And that I think that's a big factor is that it, it just never died in the same way. We kind of thought that, we won after the, the uh, Cold War, but the truth was that it was just, it really wasn't. I mean, it was, they, they were right on with making that, uh, uh, passing that bill and making that in a mon monument in 1993, thinking that the legacy really isn't gonna, like it needs to be remembered because as time goes on, they'll, they'll bring it back. Yeah. I think this is true to that. Hmm. Well, very nice chatting with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.